Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Victoria from Crime Therapy. The views and opinions expressed on this show are solely for entertainment purposes. The views and opinions do not reflect the views of our employers and are not intended for legal diagnostic computers. Don't do it. Don't try it. Don't think about it. Yeah, nothing is real. Nothing is real. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not on this podcast. Especially this isn't a professional uh, thing. My my reality, my real thought was I had Red Bull in the fridge and was very like shooketh to my core to realize I'm not. And it's been three minutes and I'm still just like, we really have no Red Bull in the fridge, huh? Okay, great, awesome. But anywho, that's not why you're here today. You're not here to hear my woes of my refrigerator drama. So we are here because we have a good case for you guys today. We also have a guest today. Um, it's some guy I found off the street. His name is Adam, and he's going to do his case for us today. So this is kind of exciting, and you guys get to kind of meet Adam in a roundabout way. In a roundabout way? Don't embarrass me. (laughs) I feel like we've all met Adam in a roundabout way for, like, the last two seasons. So I I feel like they they actually get to meet him and experience him. And I'm going to try to turn the sound down on my mic this time so that you guys cannot hear me breathing. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to completely get that out of season – three episode one premiere but if it's there you guys know what i'm talking about and if it's not it means that i've improved my editing skills which i feel like the latter is not going to happen so sorry sorry it's fine nothing matters I like, really- like me going- <sighs> i look Ash- a really bad legging <laughs> slasher <laughs> <laughs> is it no sorry you know what it reminded me of it was is that is it the show recess no is yeah. it recess or hey arnold where the guy is always like arnold, no arnold, arnold. arnold. and he's like mouth arnold. breathing and you can yeah. see, that's what it sounds like i'm like because he's always behind helga Pataki and then she like one arms him <laughs> i wish you had done that to me it's no. pretty horrific <laughs> hearing me do it i'm like oh my god i know that that's me breathing too oh no <laughs> it's like everything's fine and at least Adam's going to speak for the majority of our episode today. Welcome, Yay! Adam. Hello. I feel like that's a lot to have to follow up on. Um, one, I don't drink Red Bull, so uh, that wasn't me. And uh, two, I guess this is what date nights have ended up being during quarantine, recording podcasts <laughs> together. No, you guys aren't even together, right? Like, you're actually in a different location. I kicked him out. I was like, you need to, you, we cannot be in the same space. And Adam as a peach as always was just like, oh, I'll just go to my office. No worries. No problem. And no I'll problem. also do your whole episode for you guys. Thank you, Adam. Neither of us was going to do that today. <laughs> well, uh, no problem. And I guess that's probably a good place to transition to the Eastburn family murders. Woo! <laughs> uh I'm just excited for you. I'm sorry that wasn't like a woohoo for that case. Partner. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I think it's because your lovely partner's here and he did an excellent transition. He's of like number two for transitions. For me, I'm like, um, okay, so uh, let's talk about something else. Oh, we, we go back to the case murder. Uh, oh, oh, okay. How many? Is that, is that a good transition? <laughs> that's those uh, year and a half of middle school news crew coming back. Oh, bringing up the skills. Good. I'm glad you learned something. The Pythagorean theorem. Was that middle school? Mitochondria. Yes. 
Wow. These are really, really excellent little tidbits. I'm like, what did I learn in middle school? Um, how much I hated my body. Yeah. Ooh. I think that, that that's actually pretty much middle school for me. But yes. Yeah. I, I remember that lesson too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took like 10 extra years of like deep programming to forget that. But okay. Do we want to do an awkward transition now? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Okay. Okay, Adam, tell us about the murders that we are not woohooing. We're just excited you're finally on the show. Uh, okay, so the Eastburn family was planning to move from their home of Fayetteville, North Carolina to England. Gary Eastburn, an Air Force captain, was in line for a job as a liaison to the Royal Air Force. Before the move, Gary and his wife Katie were looking to rehouse their English setter Dixie. Uh, they put an ad in the Beeline Grab Brag a newspaper serving the military community in the area surrounding Pope Air Force Base and Fort Bragg. I it's don't a... like where this is going. <laughs> no, okay. No, actually, I just remembered the case, and I, I, you had sent me the wiki before, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to look into it, but I'm actually like, the dog is fine, I think, is a spoiler here. So I'm pretty certain that's correct, right, Adam? <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, uh, I remember what happens now, and the dog is fine. Uh, and just, I guess, there's a little bit of background. Um, Fayetteville, it's east of Charlotte and south of Raleigh. And uh, Pope Air Force Base and Fort Bragg, they're right next to each other. Uh, so let's fast forward here. Tuesday, May 7th, 1985. 27-year-old Army Sergeant Tim Hennis responded to the ad. After talking it over with his wife, Hennis drove across town to the Eastburn home to see the dog. According to Hennis's later account, shortly before 9 p.m., he parked his white Chevette in front of the Eastburn house. Uh, Hennis knocked on the door, and Katie Eastburn invited him inside. Uh, Katie told Hennis that she had just put her three young daughters to bed, and husband Gary was away at Squadron Officer's School in Alabama. No, no, and Victoria and I are like shaking our heads. You can't ever tell people when the other person's not home. You should be like, they're upstairs sleeping. Also, they'll be they'll home the... shortly. Yeah. Also, I wouldn't have any of the Craigslist people come to the house while I was home alone. I, and if that happens, you meet them outside. You meet them in broad daylight, like in public. I, and I've been doing a lot of Facebook and like marketplace meetups like this recently, and it's sketchy, but like, just make it less sketchy. And I know this was in the 80s, so they didn't have all of this knowledge, but ooh, no. Yep. Yeah, not not a good way to start. No, we all are like, oh, we know where this is going. You invited a strange man into your house, and then you told him your husband wasn't going to be home anytime soon. Hmm. Mm. Not that it's her fault. Not that it's her fault. Oh, not no, no, no. It's just that automatic visceral reaction as a woman to be like, no, 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 no. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so four days later, that brings us to Saturday, May 11th, Gary Eastburn phoned his wife for the regular Saturday morning conversation. She did not answer. He tried again and again without success. Uh, the next day, Sunday, May 12th, it was Mother's Day, and the Eastburn's neighbor noticed three uncollected newspapers in their driveway. Uh, this typically would indicate that Katie and the girls were away. Uh, the neighbor also noticed the family's Toyota station wagon hadn't moved in days. He went next door and rang the Eastburn's doorbell several times. He heard a baby crying inside and told his wife to call the sheriff's office. An officer arrived at the Eastburn's house. He cut a window screen and climbed into a bedroom to investigate. 
Inside, 22-month-old Jaina was wailing in her crib. The officer passed Jaina back through the window to the neighbor. The officer noticed a strong odor in the house, and when the officer stepped into the hallway, he saw dead bodies at the end of the hall and radioed the homicide unit. Uh, so Robert Biddle and Jack Watts, they were the detectives from the Cumberland County Sheriff's Department, came to the scene a few minutes after 1 p.m. that day. Uh, Watts, he's the one who headed the homicide unit, and Biddle, the only note they had about him was that Biddle had previously run a racehorse farm. Wait, can you say that? Wait, that's the note about the officer that arrived at the house scene or one of the detectives? Yeah, one of the detectives, uh, not that like he graduated with honors from detective school, but that he had previously run a racehorse farm, so he was super qualified. Oh, yeah. Those, I actually thought I had missed something, and I thought I was like, I'm listening intently. Wait, no, 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 no. That doesn't even make sense, but okay. <laughs> I appreciate the extracurricular activities that people bring to the table at times. Yes, yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm no. sure he's a well-rounded individual. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Uh, so in the living room, the investigators saw a pair of jeans, two buttons that had been ripped off a blouse, and a pair of torn ladies' underpants. Then they found five-year-old Kara stabbed repeatedly in the chest. Next, they entered the master bedroom. Aaron, a three-year-old, lay on one side of the bed, uh, bludgeoned in the chest and back. On the other side lay Katie, stabbed 15 times and had apparently been raped. Uh, they found semen inside her body, which will come into play later. Uh, all three of their throats had been slit. Uh, in, the in the house, the crime scene techs had found fingerprints and hair. A luminol test showed faint smears of blood on the walls and in the master bedroom, as if somebody had tried to clean the place up. An envelope of cash, Katie's ATM card, and a piece of paper with the ATM password were gone. Uh, shortly after midnight, a witness named Patrick Cohn came forward and told investigators that on Friday morning, on his way to work, he had seen a tall white man wearing jeans, a knit cap, and a black members-only jacket, leaving the East Burns driveway with a garbage bag slung over his shoulder. Uh, when Cone stopped and turned around, he saw the taillights of a white Chevette glow before the car pulled away. A composite sketch of the man was created. Uh, so that they had a, a person of interest at that point. And just for the sake of the storyline, uh, all that was Sunday. We're going to fast forward to Wednesday, May 15th. Uh, Tim Hennis and his family drove to the law enforcement center in downtown Fayetteville after seeing a special news broadcast on television. It announced investigators' interest in a man who drove a white Chevette and had picked up an English setter uh, from 367 Summer Hill Road the previous week. An officer led Hennis into a room for questioning, and that's when investigators were shocked to discover Hennis's face and the composite sketch were nearly identical. Uh, authorities by that time had determined that the murders likely took place on the previous Thursday night, which that's just under a week. Uh, the neighbors had seen Katie earlier Thursday evening and the newspapers began piling up Friday morning. So that's how they came to that conclusion. Uh, the lead investigator asked Hennis to recount his activities that night. Hennis said he had driven his wife and daughter to his in-laws and then returned home after stopping for gas. Uh, the investigators noted he answered many questions impatiently, and he came off as arrogant. Uh, he was a challenge to interrogate. He had scored 128 on an Army general aptitude test, which placed him in the 97th percentile. Uh, he stayed for almost seven hours and provided blood, saliva, and hair samples, as well as fingerprints and palm prints. 
uh, while he was in custody, a photograph was taken of Hennis, and the image was pasted onto a manila folder with five similar-looking men. Cone chose Hennis's photo from the lineup, Cone being the... Uh, Neighbor? The witness, yeah. Oh, that, my gosh. And, but due to the lack of a warrant, Hennis was sent home. Uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, what? Victoria, I've been watching your face the entire time, and you're just horrified. And the thing is, for me, I can't remember if he is actually the person or if there's, like, a crazy twist. And, like, in my head, I'm like, it's either he gets away with this for very long or he's wrongly accused. And one of these happens, and, like, I'm kind of with, like, I think you and the entire audience where I'm like, shit, even though I've definitely heard this story before. I'm just still struck by the members-only jacket and the chefettes. I always just think I'm of my Russians like, son with those of a bitch. No, what? I love it. I'm like, oh, it's what a cute thing. I love it. I want a members only jacket. That's like binding. We we could get merch. Please not a members only no, jacket. I love it. I would totally no. wear one. Okay, anyway. I just it like it just makes me uncomfortable and I know obviously it's murder. But like the idea of just like this person being interrogated being arrogant be thinking he's smarter than everybody else in the room knowing that this family has just been like decimated all because of like one asshole <laughs> just like ah no, that's where like, i'm at no i kept thinking i'm like yeah i do remember that the dog got picked up at that they actually took the dog but i also was like i think kids died so i think yeah all the witnesses are deceased yeah besides the neighbor but yep yep I know. Okay, sorry. I'm with you guys. I'm like, Adam, I can't. Tell me what happens. I just want to, I guess, set the scene here. There's quite a bit that happens. And uh, I guess we'll continue on here. Uh, late that evening, a warrant was obtained and law enforcement officials descended on Hennis's house. He was handcuffed and charged with three counts of murder and one count of rape. Uh, so there were a few pieces of evidence they had against him. Uh, several eyewitnesses recalled seeing a white Chevette on Summerhill Road the evening of the murders. Uh, Hennis's alibi that he had returned home immediately after dropping off his wife and daughter at his in-laws. Uh, turns out that there was some conflicting reports about that. Uh, a Nancy Mazer, a former girlfriend, told detectives a different story of what happened that night. Uh, Hennis and Mazer had met years earlier at the Dragon Club a honky-tonk bar at Fort Bragg and dated for a while. Okay, there needs to be... Is there a movie about this? Have they made this into a movie? I, I'm i sorry. Is it still an, a, an establishment that's open today? Like, not COVID today, but like, can we go? Because that just sounds like an amazing name of a place. A honky-tonk, like, time. Name the dragon? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, one can only hope the members' only jacket was from the dragon, I guess, but it didn't, it didn't mention... <laughs> That's amazing. Now we're getting somewhere. Okay, now I'd be on board. Uh, so only jacket. You wouldn't be on board for a members only jacket that said crime therapy, but you'd be on board for a members only jacket that says the dragon. Because I'm not gonna. I'm not like boastful. Like I, I wouldn't like feel comfortable wearing my own like members only like crime therapy. But like I don't know the dragon. What like the 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 like nerd in me is just like ooh that sounds cool yeah. like I don't know I'm just excited by that noise I think the nerd in me likes the members only jacket idea regardless but okay so this guy gets called out by his girlfriend he said the girlfriend says no you didn't just go home you went out with me 
Uh, so it was actually his ex-girlfriend. Oh. Uh, they dated for a while, but even after they broke up, Hennis would still occasionally stop by her house. Uh, so Wait, on... why? Why was he stopping by her house, Adam? <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go I'm into details. I'm just kidding. The, the listeners can form their own thoughts, <laughs> okay, I guess. Listen, I'm sleep deprived and kind of uh, falling apart today. So that's where I'm at. So I'm going to ask ridiculous questions and try to throw you off base the whole time. It's going to be my new game. It's you actually did. the game I play with Victoria every week. This is this is it. You're you're now seeing and feeling <laughs> and experiencing everything it is to be a co-host, Chris. Congratulations. Welcome. As I derail everything every episode. Thank you. It's, I am a part of the members only club in that uh, people who have recorded podcast episodes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so girlfriend says, nope, he's coming by occasionally. And he came by that night or he went by the dragon? No, he uh, on May 9th, Hennis, knowing that Mazer's husband was deployed in Germany, made an unannounced visit. Uh, Mazer let him in and they talked. Oh. Uh, Mazer tapped Hennis's wedding band and asked him how his marriage was going. Uh, she left me, Hennis said, a misleading reference to his wife's visit with her parents. And I appreciated the artist's jab whenever he said if he was looking for romance, he got no encouragement and he left. Uh, so aside from the uh, the sketchy alibi, we'll call it, uh, investigators picked up on a potential violent streak in Hennis. They learned that he had recently stormed out of a local Bennigan's when he worked kitchen, where he worked kitchen shifts to supplement his income after a scuffle with a fellow employee. And uh, speaking of the black members only jacket, the Friday morning after the murders, Hennis had taken a single item of clothing to the dry cleaners, a black members only jacket. Also, I don't ever want to give murderers feedback, but I never understand what is the deal with this? Why wouldn't you just throw this stuff away? Like, and I understand like he's somebody who has to like supplement his income, but like you could throw away a jacket and buy like a new $10 jacket at like Walmart. Like, what is the deal? Sorry. I don't mean to give unsolicited feedback, but <laughs> but like you know what I mean. Okay, what what was the other case, Danielle Van Dam, where the the person who ended up kidnapping her and whatever he went and had his comforter cleaned, and it's like, are, why? Like just get it cleaned. Like why don't you burn it or throw why it away randomly? Get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean I'm glad that these people are idiots, but I'm also like, what's why? Okay, so he gets his jacket clean the day conveniently the day after the murders, or the week after the murders. Uh, yeah, and he also his neighbors recalled had poured lighter fluid into a 55 gallon barrel and stoked a bonfire for at least five hours. Why? <laughs> what's the thought process? <sighs> So I guess one one last little tidbit here. There was other minor evidence, but for the sake of time, I won't name all of it. But uh, one major point. In 1985, forensic science in the United States was inexact and DNA technology wasn't yet being used in law enforcement. Uh, one of the lead investigators knew that Scotland Yard had begun experimenting with DNA testing and an office mate wrote a letter to London requesting assistance on the Hennis case. Uh, since they had the semen that was collected at the uh, collected at the site, uh, but Scotland Yard declined to intercede and to help them out. 
Okay. Uh, so we're going to fast forward here to the trial. Uh, before the trial, Hennis was offered a plea bargain, two counts of second-degree murder with a likely penalty of two consecutive life sentences. Uh, he told his lawyer, quote, I'm not pleading guilty to something I didn't do, end quote. Uh, at the trial in the summer of 1986, the lead prosecutor showed dozens of gruesome photographs from the crime scene. Uh, that's a, a note to remember for later. The, uh, the, we'll fast forward again. The jury deliberated for 10 hours before returning the verdict. Uh, he was guilty on all, count, all counts, three of first-degree murder and one of rape. Uh, Hennis was led from the courtroom to a suicide prevention cell, and three days later, he was sentenced to death. Uh, while in prison, Hennis received a letter postmarked July 8th, the day of his sentencing, and it read, Dear Mr. Hennis, I did the crime. I murdered the Eastburns. Sorry you're doing the time. I'll be safely out of North Carolina when you read this. Thanks, Mr. X. Yeah, I mean, part of me this whole time, I'm like, I think, does he get off? He gets off, right? I think he gets off. He, like, the DNA no later exam. I can't remember. Chris. No, I literally, I can't remember. I, and you I, have like, to wait. You have no, to tolerate this I, discomfort, and you I have can't. to wait. Adam is telling us a story. <laughs> I'm going to Google it while you're talking. No, but I'm like, okay, and I can't remember if this is, like, um, a red herring, or if this is, like, literally, and then they're like, oh, it's all connected later. <gasps> I love this. Uh, so the sheriff's office also received a Mr. X letter, but Mr. X's identity was never determined. Never determined. Not at any point. Not later either. Okay. Nope. Not even whenever I give the uh, like recent update. Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about the appeal now. Hennis's appeal had reached the state Supreme Court where Hennis's lawyer argued that the many graphic photographs shown by the prosecution had unduly inflamed jurors against his client. The judges ruled five to two in Hennis's favor and awarded him a retrial. Uh, the Hennis ruling is still used by defense attorneys seeking to limit the presentation of photographs that are redundant or that could unfairly prejudice jurors even to this day. It makes sense though, right? I mean, like you want them to know like the seriousness of the crimes, but also like if you see children being murdered and things like that, you're obviously going to look like be more ready to blame somebody, attack somebody, punish somebody. You're priming people up before they even have a chance to process the information in a factual way. Yeah, and we all know we all make great decisions when we're all elevated and, uh, yeah. Or if you don't have your goddamn Red Bull. <laughs> like moi over here. I'll stop and get you one on the way home. Oh, my God. That is, like, the sweetest thing ever. I, I just want you to know, like, oh, Oh my god, never mind. I'll tell you guys privately later. You're the most adorable ever. This is typical behavior. I vent and complain and like not that I'm actually seeking anything. I'm just like spewing and Adam's like, "Okay, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll get a it. solution for you." Yes. I mean, Victoria, it's lovely. <laughs> and also, I've had two diet cokes today and I had a little bit of coffee this morning because I was on no sleep and it didn't help. I don't know if you can see me, but I still look like a zombie and I uh I feel like I'm half asleep. So, I hope that Red Bull does something for you and I can live vicariously through you. Live vicariously through me always. And then we're going to live vicariously through Adam's story as he keeps going. Uh, so at the retrial, the defense focused on discrediting the eyewitness. Uh, between the first and second trials, 
uh, Cone, that was the eyewitness uh, that saw the suspect in the morning, had committed several minor criminal offenses that were dismissed. Uh, the Hennessy's lawyers also suggested that Cone's testimony at the first trial was inaccurate. Do we know what the little the little minor offenses were? Um. I do have. Okay, you don't have to look them up because I guess part of me goes, "Oh, could they have been something that led up to a rape and murder?" Mm, that's where my brain starts going too. But it's okay; you don't actually have to know. I believe one was check fraud, and oh. uh, okay. yeah, it, it, I think he was stopped for a DUI maybe at one point too. But they just okay. made the person in the passenger seat drive home, basically. Well, that was nice of them, I guess. Um, okay, so nothing that we think is like suggesting, oh, like he's not he's not flashing or doing some or like breaking into homes or something. Uh, he's not, but um, if I remember correctly, and you guys might need to fact check this, but uh, I'm pretty sure that he was also kind of arrogant whenever the police had stopped him and basically said that he could do whatever he want because he was the star witness in the case. I think that oh. was his response to the DUI stop. My God. <laughs> and then they were okay with it. They were like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Just, hey, hey, buddy in the passenger seat, you just drive him home. I feel like if you said that to a cop now, they'd be like, oh, really? We can't do anything? We're going to send you to jail forever. <laughs> like, <Hi>. we've <laughs> lost your evidence. The cases are, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So also a second arrogant, aggressive white man trying to, well, I assume he's white. We don't even know he's white. I mean, I, I left that part out. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's okay. I'm going to assume it, but it could be wrong. Uh, I honestly don't remember. You would have to look that one up. Okay. I don't think it's relevant at this point. Okay. So minor crimes, they're trying to discredit him. Yeah. They, the defense went as far um, as to, get a meteorologist to testify. So Cone had said the weather on the night of the murders was fair with the stars out, but the uh, meteorologist provided records that depicted it as cloudy and a local helicopter pilot who aborted a medevac mission that morning remembered the weather being, quote, very, very dark and overcast, end quote. Okay. I mean, Victoria's face was uh, expressing how I was feeling internally, where I was like, what a meteorologist. Pulling out all sense. the stops. <laughs> but it kind of makes sense where you're like, well, do you actually remember the night in question? Or did you see him the night that he went to pick up the dog? Ooh. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. I like where the defense <laughs> is going with this. If, if he's innocent. If he's not innocent, then crap. You uh, would so make a great lawyer, Chris. I just want to say that. <laughs> Thanks. I registered for the LSAT twice in my life and lost like a hundred and some dollars each time I tried to postpone it. And then I went into school for social work. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've, we're trying to discredit witnesses. Yeah. And enough uncertainty was cast on Cone's testimony that it made it largely worthless. Okay, so the only witness's testimony is now worthless. Yes, and uh, another, I guess, important note, before the retrial, the original prosecutor had left the DA's office for private practice, and the, uh, the new prosecutors assigned to the retrial seemed like they just kind of mailed it in, said <laughs> Gary Eastburn. Uh, so two days later, the jury reached a verdict, not guilty on all counts. 
After more than 800 days on death row, Hennis left the courtroom a free man, and several jurors shook his hand. Wow. Okay. Because it's like if he's actually a murderer, did you just shake the hand of a murderer of like someone who murdered two little kids and then murdered and raped their mom? Or or did we send a man to death row for over two years who was innocent? But wait, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. So I guess whether you think he's innocent or guilty, uh, Hennis's case eventually attracted the attention of the North Carolina Actual Innocence Commission. Uh, They were troubled by a very disturbing string of wrongful convictions and citing the Hennis case. North Carolina's chief justice established a commission to scrutinize law enforcement and prosecutorial procedures. Uh, New standards were adopted, including for eyewitness identification to create a much more reliable process in the future. Okay, so that's awesome. And uh, so life after appeal. Uh, After the acquittal, Hennis had to decide if he was going to re-enlist in the Army or not. A 1987 Supreme Court decision had granted the military greater jurisdiction over civilian crimes, which that meant that he could actually be court-martialed still. Okay. But uh, despite that, Hennis re-enlisted anyway. Uh, He received three years of back pay, a good conduct medal, and a promotion to staff sergeant. Excuse me? (laughs) Okay. Knowing knowing what I know, because I know, because I also am a, like, I got to know the ending person, read the last page of the book before I know where this is going, but I'm just like, that seems a little generous and just, the grand master thought process of capitalism, but wow. No, it's, is, it be, is it because he had all this like, you know, positive press in his corner? Like he was innocent. He was wrongly convicted. Like there were, they like the defense like chaired everything to shreds that like people were kind of like trying to be really accommodating and supportive and helpful. Yeah. More or less the, uh, that second trial was a bloodbath where the defense just eviscerated the prosecution and okay. just like tore apart every shred of evidence they had and even okay. introduced some new evidence. Uh, there was, all, I think there was a mention of uh, there were footprints found outside the house and they were like three sizes too small for Hennis's feet. So just again, for the sake of time, I, I didn't list every single piece of evidence <laughs> they had because there was quite a bit. I just love that Victoria has taken over my role of asking questions that no one has answers to. And, and it's not me this time, but yeah, but, you know, it's like, what I was just thinking is like all of our folks who have been wrongly imprisoned for multiple years and then they get out and here's like, they're like, here's $200,000 for 13 years of your life being away or something. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay. And then the, the military was like, well, we're going to back pay you, which I think is so interesting. Cause I don't, I would not have expected that. Honestly, if I had been him, I would have been terrified that I would have been tried in a military court and then I would have been stuck in some kind of brig somewhere forever because the military can just, they they can do a lot. Yes, they can, Chris. (sighs) Yeah, they can. Well, I think it also goes back to the fact that he did display that arrogance and that I think I'm smarter than you mentality. So I think the trial went so well for him. He thought there's absolutely no way that this could go poorly for me going forward wow okay yeah he's so, wow. that's 
I again, we don't know, but that sounds like that white man arrogance that I'm like, all right. Like, what's his name? I I just Google him, but then I'm going to know the answer to this question. At the very least, it's just that the confidence and arrogance of it all is just very, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just humble bragging, but if that was me, I'd be like, and into the shadows we go for the rest of my life. I don't want anyone to bother me. Do not Google me. Stay away. I would be that lifetime girl, Chris, like rolling up. The big city girl walking into the small town doesn't know a man, doesn't know anybody, just to be like, ah, cool, there's a country farm down the road to get my eggs because I don't want to be bothered by anybody ever um, again. Okay, I just watched I, Tanya, and um, that movie, I literally, I was, like, crying on and off during it. It was, like, a really bad movie to watch pregnant. I really, like, there was, like, a lot of, like, child abuse and mm-hmm. stuff, and I thought it was going to be, like, funny. I, like, cause, I like movies like that, like, uh, comedromedies or drama comedies or whatever. Dramedies, what are they called? But, like... I was, I was so, I was Googling the people's names, like, as they were talking, because I was like, is this real? Is this real? And it's, like, all real. And one of the, the guy who actually um, broke the leg of Nancy Kerrigan or whatever, he later, I think, no, not him, the boyfriend changes his name, gets married, opens a hair salon, and the guy that broke her leg opens up a dispensary, a marijuana dispensary, and, like, I'm, like, yeah, that's maybe like more not as low key, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, change your name and open a hair salon and never do anything again. Yeah, versus let's roll the dice in the military. But okay, yep. Oh, okay, he is white. He is white. I googled him, and I just want you to know that Timothy Hennis is white. I don't know anything else about it because I just went straight to images. He is very blonde. He actually kind of looks like a blonde Hitler. Like he's got like a little, a little tiny mustache. Not quite a Hitler stash, but like it's a little shorter than it should be. Yeah. What? Oh, I can't hear you. Sorry, that was me. I muted my mic. Oh, was that the? like 80s facial hairstyle or was that like he could have been an extra in top gun oh that's a good call that's a great call yes and you know what how timely for location and everything all yes. in the military yeah. yes that's what i mean the setting is perfect the scene is there but yeah lee funny enough he could have uh he was actually in flight school but he was kicked out of flight school i think he also got in trouble for fraudulent checks sir <laughs> Sir, <laughs> sir, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Come on. God uh, bless be the fruit. Continue on, Adam. Uh, so Hennis retired from the Army in July 2004 after 23 years of service at the rank of Master Sergeant. A little less than a year later, on May 12, 2005, a crime analyst who had worked with the Fayetteville Police Department named Billy Crawford was teaching a seminar for homicide detectives on advanced criminal intelligence techniques, and he was presenting the unsolved Eastburn murders as a case study. From the seminar, it was realized that two sperm samples were taken from Katie Eastburn's body with a vaginal swab. Although DNA testing had been unsophisticated in the late 80s, in 2005, the samples could be sent off to the State Bureau of Investigation's crime lab for analysis. And the amount of sperm left on the swabs was sufficient to run a DNA test. Mm, and mm, a year later, the results came back and it showed the DNA profile belonged to Tim Hennis. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt like he was a murderer. I did. Yep. 
he looks like a murderer. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, okay, and I know you're going to answer this question, so this is, like, rhetorical, I guess. But I'm like, can you be tried for the same crime twice? Because didn't he, uh, isn't that, like, double jeopardy? Uh, well, you see, Chris, the Fifth Amendment ensures that no citizen can be twice put in jeopardy of life <laughs> or limb for the same offense. Yeah. But double jeopardy pertains only to a specific judicial realm. State courts and federal courts represent distinct sovereigns. So under the dual sovereignty doctrine stipulated in the Constitution, a defendant can be tried and acquitted in state court and then be tried again for the same crime in a federal court. Okay. So you also see so that, but then Army regulations state that a person subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice who has been tried in a civilian court may but ordinary ordinarily will not be tried by court martial okay oh my god so now we're saved by the military because they're gonna drag his ass back in and then they're gonna convict him okay i'm ready to hear what the real answer is <laughs> uh so three fort bragg attorneys were presented the dna evidence the military attorneys took the file to the commanding general of fort bragg and it didn't take him very long to deliberate on the DNA evidence, he asked the Secretary of the Army to approve recalling Hennis to active duty as any retired soldier can be in charge of a stop loss. What's it called? What is it called when you get pulled back in? No, oh, random tidbit of stuff that no one has an answer to, but okay. Oh, I love it. They're pulling him back in. Ah, that's yeah, I don't know. The, the Uncle Sam hook that's <laughs> <laughs> sucks for you. I think it's a stop loss, right? No, no, no. Oh my god, that's a broker term. What's the thing when they pull you back in after you've been, um, is that really, no one knows the answer to that? Like when they, like, they, Recall. they, no, no, I know. I'm just, I don't, okay. I'm just okay, whatever. Okay. So they're like, yeah, we're going to bring him back in and we're going to charge him with all the crimes. <laughs> I think I tried to Google it really quick. And all, the first thing just says the president of the U.S. has presidential reserve call-up authority, but that's not the answer to the question. So my bad. I'm going to do it too. I'm going to also Google it while we're talking. Uh, stop loss. It's called a stop loss. It says, uh, this is military.com. Under a program known as stop loss, the military can keep you on active duty after your anticipated discharge date. This program has been around since 1984 and has been used a few times. While currently not in effect, stop loss can be activated at any time. Uh, make sure you use promo code stop loss for 15% <laughs> off on anchor <laughs> or our members only jacket <laughs> on our merch store <laughs> at our merch table at the dragon <laughs> oh god okay. oh okay they're pulling his ass back in oh but also, could you fucking imagine that you're like talking to your your staff sergeant or whatever he was for that whole time, and he's just he's a murderer, rapist, and he killed children too, and like not like like murdering an adult woman, raping an adult woman, horrific, right? But then you add child murder, and he stabbed them and bludgeoned them. Like you're a, the scummiest scumbag ever. Well, he, uh, I guess. The cherry on top, even whenever his family, I believe they relocated to the state of Washington, uh, he was the, the scout troop leader for his kids' Boy Scout troop and would take them into the woods for like weekend trips and all that. So 
um, a lot of people actually said that he received received exemplary marks and uh, thought he was like a stand up guy and would he was a gentle giant. Oh my gosh! Uh, but I guess let's see. Uh, they approved recalling Hennis to active duty, and they charged him with three counts of murder. Uh, it turns out the Uniform Code of Military Justice statute of limitations had expired on the rape charge. Okay. Uh, not... No, I'm not commenting. Sorry. Go on. On the evening of September 26, 2006, a military lawyer and an agent from Fort Bragg's uh, Criminal Investi Investigative Division, accompanied by two local policemen, drove up to Hennessy's home in Lakewood, Washington. Uh, Ennis reported for duty the next month, despite being charged with three counts of murder and facing the death penalty, he resumed collecting full military pay and benefits. He was not confined or restricted, and after working half days at a desk, he was allowed to meet with his attorneys and a private investigator nearly every afternoon. No. Why? <laughs> Why? Like, we, we there, his... His sperm was found inside of somebody who had been raped and murdered. And that's what they're going to convict him with. But they were like, no problem. You can work a desk job and just like go about your stuff while we're doing all this. Well, yeah. And <laughs> I guess they're, <laughs> they're, what's kind of funny is the main defense during the court martial, uh, the defense declared the DNA evidence could support an argument of adultery instead of rape. That's true. That is true. But he never mentioned that. And you would think that if you were having an affair with somebody who had been found murdered with semen inside of them, you'd be like, just so you know. Like, uh -uh, no, no. Yeah. Hold on. Hold yeah. on. Before you jump to conclusions here. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So it turns out the argument did not go over well. Uh, <laughs> no. No, the jurors themselves were often deployed far from home and were unlikely to embrace the implication that army spouses regularly fool around when their loved ones are away. And on top of that, um, Hennis had, uh, even though he admitted to a romantic interest in Katie, oh, sorry, man, I can't even read. Had he admitted to a romantic interest in Katie, the pitch might have been a bit more persuasive, but he had consistently denied it the entire, like every trial and retrial. And those words are not going to be just zooped. They're going to bring them right back out. So you said this. You said that you weren't. You didn't know her. Yeah, yeah you didn't know her. Better You're... to get her dog. Yeah, unlike me that can't read it, he made it very clear that yeah, he did not have a romantic interest in Katie. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so on April 8th, 2010, after three hours of deliberation, the jury reached a unanimous verdict. And that verdict was guilty. Guilty. Good. Ooh, three hours. Nice. That was swift. But I think that's like the thing with the DNA evidence, right? Like that, like for me feels, and I hope that at one point, like we are not like, oh crap, we thought this was so accurate. It's not because I, uh, we talked about this in another case that might not have, will have aired at this point by the time this case comes up. But like when we were looking at the Jean Benet case, they were talking mm -hmm. about um, 
possible DNA found in her underwear. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I think one of the things that was thrown around and I have no idea about this this isn't my forte, obviously, but could it have been touch DNA or was it DNA left by somebody? Like, could it have been somebody who packaged that underwear up like, and they didn't wash it before she put it on or something, or like, you know, could a cleaning person have touched it or something like that versus so, but, but, but I'm going to, throw that out there. It's like, maybe that could happen, but I like the idea of DNA evidence being pretty solid. Like we found this thing and it's only from you. So you're the only one that could have put it there. So yeah, yeah. you're a murderer mm. and a rapist. Yeah. Uh, mm. So now that they had their guilty verdict, the next question was death penalty. Uh, the matter was complicated by the life Hennis had led in the 21 years since his initial exoneration. So though his good conduct could hardly confirm his innocence, it did demonstrate his ability to become a productive member of society. Uh, the author then wrote, was the point of a death sentence to provide an extreme punishment for an extreme crime or to remove from society criminals who had no potential for reform? A week later, the panel delivered its verdict to Hennis. All of the members concur and sentence you to be reduced to the grade of E1 to forfeit all pay and allowances, to be dishonorably discharged from the service, and to be put to death. Oh, they did? Wow, okay. Uh, Hennis was then handcuffed and placed in a van. He eventually arrived at the U.S. disciplinary barracks at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, where he joined five other men awaiting death. The last military execution took place in 1961. Holy at least Shit. That's what this article in like the early 2010 said. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> I was pretty lazy and didn't follow up on that one. So that's okay. I mean, I think that's great. I feel like we, uh, Victoria and I are on the same generally like you're not for the death penalty. And when you asked those questions, I was like, I mean, I don't know personally if the death penalty serves a ton of purpose besides maybe some satisfaction from people seeking revenge or whatever, but yeah. Uh, there were, was a minor recent update. Uh, in October, 2019, Hennis's lawyers filed an appeal at the U S court of appeals for the armed forces, challenging the army's jurisdiction to try Hennis citing constitutional double, double jeopardy prohibitions. Uh, in late February 2020, the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces affirmed the U.S. Army Court of Criminal Appeals verdict, rejecting Hennis's appeal against the court martial proceedings. Okay, because they're saying, nope, this is a military court. It's separate. That's and nothing. Yeah, so they were basically saying, you can't do this because we are a form of the state, but actually the military isn't. So, sucks to be you. <clears throat> And that is the, the case of the Eastburn family murders. I loved that. You just, that was, you kept me on my toes the entire time. Victoria, what's your face? That quote from the, one of the, the individuals who just talked about like, what is the purpose of death penalty? Like that's really like ringing in my ear right now. Just like, what is the function? What is the purpose? Is this to put someone to death who really cannot be rehabilitated or is this kind of like that? I know we've seen that with other cases, kind of not like bloodlust, but just like that eye for an eye mentality. So I guess I'm kind of like mentally gymnasticizing. Also, because really I'm not know. for death penalty. So yeah. it's just like I, I, I 
logically can get it, like why someone would be pro, but I'm not pro. But I, I that's a no, tough, that's a tough. No, uh, we've talked about this. I feel like if somebody hurts somebody I love, like I'm gonna want them dead for sure. Like if you hurt my dog, I want to like punch you in the head. Like you know, <laughs> I mean, I feel like a lot of us feel that way though, right? Like you know, if you hurt my family, like you deserve to suffer. But I, like my rational brain goes, this is not a good thing for society. We should not do this. It's not done fairly. If it was only for like the Ted Bundys of the world, fine. But the other stuff is like, and it also costs us like a lot of money and time, like to support people on death row. But the other thing that I kept thinking is, you know what? BTK got away with murdering people for like 20 plus years. And he, he was like described by his kids as like a good father. He worked in a church. He was described as like being a good neighbor. Yeah. Like, so we don't quite know that murder and rapist wasn't out murdering and raping other people in like less pro high profile cases you know like what if he was targeting sex workers or you know what i mean or what if he wasn't um what if he didn't kill anybody and what if their dna evidence is stacked in a locker somewhere because we all know that dna evidence especially for rapes and sexual assault yeah. is not actively processed that's a good point like that's a very interesting crime like right out the gate like this there's gotta be this this person must have done other stuff prior to this. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. That just seems a little hokey that he was just like, okay, cool, and I'm gonna do this now. Like, where where's the escalation? Where's the build up? Like, where's the? And you murdered children, and like that's the only uh-huh. thing you like, were capable of doing that. You know what I mean? I I feel like you don't just stop doing that if you're just no. capable of doing that. Unless right. unless he was a good person and he had like some psychosis or you know what I mean or like some snap from reality but like it doesn't seem like that's the case it seems it's really it's awful he's a bad person honestly he looked like a blonde Hitler and one of my friends was like you talk about how people look a lot and I was like you know what he looks like a blonde Hitler also like a football player blonde Hitler yeah I don't think you can use that on the mental statics exam. You might have to go with a little bit more. <laughs> I hate how he, I just hate him. And okay, he like, I don't know. Yeah. But I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. No. Yuck. Did you have any I, Yeah. Yeah. The idea of like, I don't know, the subtle to the side, like, hey, so you, you might have gotten away with it on this one round, buddy, but uh. <laughs> just kidding i don't know i always appreciate like the like gotcha bitch like kind of reaction to things a hundred percent that was so satisfying that yeah. was like i mean i really this could be made into a movie i mean although i mean i don't want to sound like i take joy in other people's stuff but as like someone who likes true crime i'm like oh that's an interesting ending and he gets in trouble for it yeah i love when people get I love when people get caught. I fucking hate the idea of people getting away with stuff like that. That's awful. Because it's that concept of justice that feels good, that feels satisfying. You feel like righteous in your emotions at that point. It's it's now this, you know, possibly not misplaced, but it's just the excessive grief loss of it all to be like, yes, okay, it's channeled in this place of good. It's going towards something productive. So those are my thoughts and opinions and feelings on that in the moment. Yeah. Hooray. Adam, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Uh, just that there there is some, I guess you could say, different multimedia that's come out. Um, following the second retrial and acquittal in 1989, a gentleman named Scott Wisnant wrote a book looking at the Hennis trials called Innocent Victims, which was published in 1993. Uh, if you want to read more 
uh, Wisnet actually like was pretty uh, in favor of that he was innocent, and he was also tied to that uh, that like meeting that I had talked about, where they got together and realized there was DNA evidence, and he said like that was one of his biggest regrets was basically like tipping people off about that. <laughs> Why? Why? What was his feeling? Like that he reminded people that there was actual evidence against the guy, or was he saying it was used incorrectly, or like he believed the affair story? I don't know if he believed the affair story, but I think he honestly thought that uh, he was innocent and that he basically got this man sentenced to death because he like helped remind people that this evidence was out there. But the evidence that proved. No. Yeah, I'm confused. I want. I really like that. Would, that would be a session. No, 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 no. We're not jumping. No, no. That's a cognitive distortion. We're gonna uh, back that up a little bit. You know, that's not cause and effect here. Just because you reminded somebody of this factually based thing does not mean you are responsible you know. for the thing that happened. Yeah. No, no. Oh my gosh, interesting. I would like to know what his perspective was, though. Like to say that he knew all of this information, and then he was like, "Oh, I shouldn't have told people about the evidence that." did solidify that he was a murderer or it was shame on his own part or or he was like no this evidence was used incorrectly because it was an affair or some other weird thing interesting okay you said there was another multimedia aspect or no yeah so there was a 1996 abc mini series called innocent victims which i believe was an adaptation of that book okay and in 2014 cnn crime documentary series death row stories uh they had an episode covering the eastburn family murders and trials of hennis very very interesting adam that was amazing it was uh so honestly i had never heard of this before and whenever i started reading about it it definitely had about five or six different twists and turns so it was a fun one to do thank you for having me on I'm glad that the viewers are viewers. Why do I do that? The listeners could actually meet Adam for once because I think we've talked about Adam every other episode for 50-something episodes. Yeah, yeah. And well, hopefully I live up to the hype. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> you guys built me up on a pretty high pedestal here. Yeah, I, I think you met expectations. I think this was a good story. You did a great job, and we both appreciate you. Your care and attention to detail and your thoughtfulness to help produce a good episode was noted. Yes. And the fact that you just rolled with our questions and it wasn't just my questions this time. Thank you, Victoria, for taking away the awkwardness that is me and my inappropriate questioning on our podcast. Do you think I would learn to turn that off? But I don't. And now I've just transferred the skill to you. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So is that our time? I think it is. Okay. Well, thanks, Adam. Bye. 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 <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs>